0: Welcome to Futureproof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, Oxford University, and Kantar, the data insights and consulting company. In each episode, we speak to industry leaders about the big issues in marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future.
1: Hello, my name's Duncan Southgate. I'm the Global Brand Director for...
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: Today, I'm going to be talking to Hugh Griffiths, who's the Chief Product Officer at UM Worldwide. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Hugh. Thanks for having me. Just to kick off and uh, help you um, introduce yourself to our audience, tell us a little about your role. What does it actually mean to be a Chief Product Officer at a global media agency like UM? So UM's mission
3: broadly is to help future-proof our clients' businesses by putting This idea of growth planning at the center of how they think about advertising and media. We believe that advertising and media are a source of business growth as opposed to just a marketing cost. And we think that we can help our clients use advertising and the media spend associated with it to really drive business growth in both the short and longer term. So my role is to ensure that the agency is using the best data, the best analytics, the best tools to really drive the whole process from how we plan media, how we buy media, and how we optimize media.
1: I'm guessing all of that's been a little bit more difficult this year than in years in the past. And I know you're always a busy guy, but uh, this year you must have been extra busy. We've been seeing all kinds of massive shifts in media spend, obviously media like cinema and events and out-of-home spend falling through the floor, and the market is scrambling to do more digital media to uh, to compensate for some of that. How have you been helping brands as they've had to cancel big campaigns, reinvent their plans totally? What have you been doing to... uh, help people through the crisis.
3: Well, it's interesting when you when you look across the portfolio of clients that we have, I would kind of broadly put them into two categories in terms of how they've been impacted by COVID. There are certain categories that I think have had a sort of a structural problem with covid and things like travel theatrical movie watching for example or restaurants things where what covid has done is essentially shut down the mechanism by which those categories operate right and so we have clients in those categories that absolutely have suspended their media spend during this period because frankly the demand isn't there being suppressed by those structural problems in those categories and then we have we have other Clients where the demand is still high and in some cases higher, but the way in which those consumers are able to meet that demand or buy the product has essentially just had to shift slightly. And so they can't necessarily or couldn't for a period of time walk into a car dealership or couldn't walk into a grocery store, but the demand was still relatively high. And so those are situations where, broadly speaking, we've seen some clients that have softened their spend a little, a lot that maintained spend, and some that actually grew their spend during this period because they actually were seeing demand increase in response to COVID. So it's, it's been interesting having that portfolio view and seeing how those different categories and clients within those categories have been impacted differently by what's been going on.
1: And we've been putting all kinds of information out to support some of those difficult decisions. And obviously, there's huge value to continue to spread through a recession if you can. But not not everyone's been in that position. But, you know, what's some of the the new lessons that have come out of this particular crisis for you or which brands have you seen adapting most successfully and how, how have they been managing that?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you you talk about the recession playbook. I mean, that's something that I think was getting a lot of traction when this first started and, and people started to trot out kind of those best practices from what had happened in previous recessions. And I think the danger was to think that what was going on with the pandemic was actually analogous, because, as I said before, I think there were some deep structural factors that were disruptive that meant that some of those lessons learned from previous recessions may not actually apply, right? But I do think there are other lessons that are relevant and applicable. I mean, when I look at what a lot of our clients have done in response to this, absolutely, there was some shifts and adjustments in their media strategy. And a lot of where I've seen real strength has been when those shifts have been sort of accelerations of trends that were happening before, especially around the shift to more e and more online ordering and fulfillment. So, you know, clients that were moving in that direction have accelerated that growth in some of the digital channels that are driving that e-com. And even in categories that you wouldn't necessarily associate e-com as having a, a major relevance, I mean, a lot of packaged goods clients that we work with were seeing significant increases in online ordering as a result of, of what's happened. And largely that is, again, a function of the, that sort of shift in how people can meet the demand, but also the shift in digital that's occurred in their plans to try and capture that demand.
1: Yeah, and I guess as you're saying, if they were already underway with that process, it's probably been easier for them to accelerate. But uh, I've been quite pleasantly surprised at how... It's actually changed the mindset in a positive way in, in many businesses, even if they weren't underway. I mean, we, we just ran our global marketers survey and loads more people were talking about being more open to innovative new ways of doing things. There are some people who are cautious, but they, they seem to be the minority. And I think that's going to accelerate the pace of all kinds of fun innovation as we move into next year, even though the budgets may have been squeezed a bit.
3: Well, I think you see. I see that in the way that just we operate as a company, let alone our clients. I mean, this working from home situation for the last six, seven months caused us to rapidly accelerate the use of technology in terms of how we collaborate and work internally as well as with our clients. And I don't think that's going to, you know, we're not going to rebound or go back to where we were before because now we see how much more efficient we can be when we embrace some of these new ways of working. So, I, I think this acceleration is true across the board. It's true on how we work ourselves, but it's also true in terms of how clients are looking to engage with consumers.
1: Yeah, and all those individuals sort of ladder up to bigger, wider industry trends, right? So, yeah. I guess trying to keep those trends moving forward and sort of turning a bit to 2021, we've got some data again from that same marketeer survey that people say that those trends of digital, increased digital spend are likely to continue next year. We've got marketeers telling us that they're going to spend more money on online video in particular, also on streaming TV. Podcasts look like they're going to grow quite nicely, <laughs> which is uh, maybe appropriate for this uh this particular uh, chat. But they're also talking about some of the things where they've cut back this year, like cinema, print and events, and out of home look likely to continue their decline into 2021. I mean, that's the picture we're seeing. What's it looking like from your point of view? How do you expect the the global media landscape to to shift next year? And do, do you expect any big surprises?
3: Well, I think, again, it's interesting if you go back to that idea I mentioned before about how certain categories had been impacted structurally by COVID and certain other categories had been less structurally changed i think that's true with media channels as well right i mean if you look at something like events experiential out of home those kinds of channels part of the reasons that those have declined is because of the decline in mobility people just weren't out as much, right? And so the opportunity to engage with those channels became much smaller. I do think that when mobility is back to where it was before, there's no reason why those channels shouldn't rebound to where they were. I mean, they have played a role in the media mix historically. They've been proven to have value in the media mix. And I can't see why when mobility levels return to where they were pre-COVID, that they shouldn't continue to have a role. In the media mix. At the same time, I do think those shifts that you talked about were accelerations of shifts that were happening anyway, right? I mean, generally speaking, there has been a shift to more of a digital way of communicating whether that is in digital or whether that is through things like in the us and in certain markets where you have more advanced tv and addressable tv options there's been a shift away from sort of traditional linear tv into some of those more digital tv type products so i think those shifts were happening anyway i think they have been accelerated and i don't see them going back i I don't see those falling back because they prove the value when you when you use them if you see the measurement around those channels and how effective they can be versus the old way of working. They consistently have strong ROIs and so that they will continue to earn a a higher proportion of the overall budget. So I don't think there is a a huge surprise, right? I think the things that have accelerated will continue to grow because they can, can show the value. They can prove the value to the advertiser and the things that were suppressed because of these structural factors specifically around mobility i think will come back because they too continue to have a role
1: that makes a lot of sense i want to pick up on that point you're making about sort of greater precision and more addressable options and the idea that people will probably embrace that i mean i've just done a paper with a guy called paul dyson who's um, talks about the, the top factors driving profitability interestingly in that paper targeting is one of the factors that has less impact in driving profitability than some of the other fundamentals like creativity and the right mix. So my fear is that you'll have the potential to improve addressability, but you'll pay an awful lot more for that premium. And if you spend all of your money on the targeting technology, you may actually not see a stronger return on investment, but you're clearly saying that you think that can work really well.
3: I think we see this time and time again that it does work well. And the challenge when you're working with clients on that journey is the cost challenge. Because if you start talking about paying extra for data for targeting, then it raises the bar on the effectiveness that that media has to hit in order for the ROI to work. Because if you're going to pay a little bit more, it has to deliver significantly more. And honestly, when we do that, we see the return being positive. So yes, it might be a little bit more expensive in terms of buying that data for targeting purposes, but the return that you get more than outweighs that cost. So, you know, we've seen consistently that targeting can be a critical factor in driving more efficiency out of media.
1: Brilliant. As long as you do it well, which I'm sure you do, of course. I I just want to briefly go back to sort of back to the future, if you like. So the, the other thing you talked about was some of the media that have suffered this year that are actually fundamentally work fine but they're just having a a short-term hiatus taking cinema for example yeah obviously no one quite knows when the cinemas are going to reopen but we have great evidence that cinema is really impactful per person who views a cinema ad it also just recently topped our media Action's poll of consumers favorite advertising channels so Consumers are more receptive to advertising in certain places and cinema ads are the ones they seem to like more because they're less disruptive than some of the more interruptive formats that are out there. The question that I've been asked off the back of that study is why people would consider consumer receptivity. Does it matter whether consumers do or don't like ads more or less in certain placements? How do you, within a UM, balance the sort of what consumers like with other factors like ROI and cost effectiveness?
3: Well, let me just talk to cinema for a second first, because I've seen other research, as well as the one that you're referring to, that talk about cinema. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the research that's been done by Karen Nelson Field out of Australia. I think she was part of the Ehrenberg Bass Institute for a while. She released a study around what she called the attention economy. And... It talked about the importance of attentiveness. And cinema, in her analysis, I think, was one of the most attentive media channels because people are focused on it. There is less distraction and there is less clutter, if you like. And that, in her analysis, is proven to be an important factor in driving the effectiveness of that channel. So I think there are factors that are important when you think about which channels you should be working with within the context of a media mix. But to your question about how all of this fits into the decisioning process, I mean, to us, at the end of the day, most of our clients, if not all of our clients, want to be in media channels that are driving ROI in either the short or the longer term. And so if you look at the the decisioning process that we go through when we're working with our clients to make a recommendation of what the right media mix would be, it starts with ROI and it starts with the ability, the proven ability of media channels to deliver on the short and long-term business goals that we're trying to achieve. I mean, that is really the primary KPI that we're using when we're determining what media channels we should be investing in.
1: Yeah, which I think is is fundamentally the right thing to do. Again, I was somewhat surprised when we ran the marketeer survey and um, people did talk about receptivity being a bigger media decision driver than ROI and cost and so on, because you can't ignore cost. You never can. I guess maybe the the fact that people are talking about it being so important in our survey suggests that at least people feel like they should be caring more. Do you feel like there's a sense that the industry's woken up to the fact that you can't just keep hammering people over the head with repetitive and intrusive advertising? Do you feel any kind of people wanting to be a bit less interruptive in the way they advertise, even though they obviously still need to deliver ROI?
3: I think that is true for sure. And I think there will be a point where we need to triangulate between that fact. And then the attentiveness fact we talked about before is an interesting one in terms of how that plays into it as well. But at some point you're going to have to triangulate the ROI versus that consumer dynamic. And I think the jury's still out, frankly, about the, relative impact of that receptivity when it comes to ROI. It's it's one thing to say that the consumers are more receptive one channel or looking for more advertising in one channel versus another. But it's another to prove that when you make a choice based off of just that piece of information, whether that materially impacts the ROI. I've not really seen any data that suggests it does or doesn't, but I, I think it's probably worth exploring more.
1: Totally agree. Yeah. Let's pivot from that and talk about newer platforms because some of the newest platforms that are out there, we often see new media, either channels or specific media environments, having kind of a honeymoon period where uh, everything's new, shiny, exciting, and <laughs> consumers love the platform. There's less ads there. As you said, clutter tends to be a distraction. And right now, some of the newer digital platforms are benefiting from that. So the environments like TikTok and Twitch and Instagram and Snapchat got less ads than some other environments. Consumers are really positive about them. And I think back to your triangulation point, there's also pretty strong evidence that those kinds of environments build brands really, really well. Now, I guess the question then is, which of those do you sort of embrace and with which clients? How do you decide when the time is right for your clients to start invest to significant levels? Well, it's
3: interesting. So, you know, UM is part of IPG Media Brands and within IPG Media Brands, we have something called the Media Lab. One of the things that the Media Lab does is keep kind of, their fingers on the pulse of all of these platforms and all of these different technologies as they bubble up. The thing that they do that's great is that they provide an assessment to us and to our clients.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
3: of each of these platforms really on two factors one is is around the reach of that particular platform right so just how many, how big is it amongst the relevant audiences that we're looking to address. But then importantly, they also talk about the maturity of those platforms to work with advertisers to take ad dollars. And those things aren't always correlated. So it, it's important that you look at both of those things. And, and so the lab allows us to see when platforms reach that certain point when they're ready to work with advertisers. And then usually at that point, we start talking to our clients about running tests in some of these things. But I mean, when I think about how the transition from just sort of one-off tests into more of an ongoing role within a media plan, I mean, there's really sort of three factors that we need to take into account. The first and the single, honestly, the most important is whether or not the platforms can provide a consistently brand safe environment. You know, brand safety is absolutely critical. It is non-negotiable. And I think if you look at the history of all of these platforms over the years, there have been incidents that have occurred. And so it is absolutely critical when you start talking to a platform for the first time that you understand how they will deal with the inevitable incident that could happen on that platform and what is put in place to respond to those things that come up and to eliminate the likelihood of them coming up and to increase the likelihood that they provide a brand safe environment for our client. That is really the critical thing. Beyond that, they have to have scale and they have to be a scalable platform so that you can move from just a one-off test to having a more consistent volume of ad dollars running through them, or else it's just a series of individual cobbled together one-offs that isn't really what we want we want scale and then they need to be measurable because again if they're going to continue to justify a place within the broader media mix they have to prove their worth Um, so you have to have conversations about data and what data can be made available, or how can you partner with those platforms to provide robust measurement frameworks? So, so that's kind of really the, the steps that we go through.
1: Well, obviously, Cantor, we like measurable. So um, I think going back to your first point, though, this idea of brand safety being non-negotiable, that probably reflects, again, some of the things we're seeing when, when marketers talk to us in the survey, that they t- really trust some of the brands that have maybe had longer to invest in that. Brands like YouTube and Google come up well in our marketers' survey with trust and, and overall preference. I think it's, it's partly marketeer familiarity with those platforms help. But they have a sense the younger platforms just don't have at this point. So there's still a gap between consumer and marketeer perceptions around how trustworthy certain environments are.
3: I think that's absolutely true, right? I mean, media brands issued a media responsibility audit a few months ago where we essentially evaluated the major platforms against 10 criteria around media responsibility and then ranked where they all came up and YouTube was was at the top. YouTube is a really interesting case. I mean, if you remember back in 2017, I believe, they had a brand safety problem and they had advertisers pull dollars. Something again happened in 2019 and advertisers pulled dollars. And a consequence of that is that they put in a ton of work to make advertisers feel more comfortable that they now have systems in place to limit, not eliminate, but reduce the likelihood of those things happening and increase the speed at which you can react when they do happen. And so you have seen dramatic increase in the trust around YouTube because they put in the work, they listened to the advertisers and they put in the work and they've seen tangible results as a result of it. So I think, you know, it took some bad situations for the platform to get to the point where it is now, where it is, again, in our order as well. It's the most trusted of these digital platforms when it comes to media responsibility.
1: Let's try and switch gears and go from the sort of negative end of the attitudinal spectrum up to the more positive end. So it's great that issues like brand safety have been addressed by some platforms. There's obviously this sort of other end of the spectrum where if you get a really good fit between advertiser and media environment, that you can see some really nice synergistic things happening. So the idea of medium as message has been intuitively understood and believed in by marketeers and media agencies for a long time. We've tried to quantify that a little bit more in the new media reaction study, looking at the different personality traits and very, very different personality traits for offline channels and, and offline brands versus online brands. There's no right answer. It's all about what's appropriate and matches best with your own brands aspirations of course but how do you see that being applied within media plans does it only matter in certain environments like influencer marketing or does it have more broader applicability
3: when we're considering or working with our clients to understand influences that are right for their particular brands we are looking at evaluating personality we work with ibm watson to to evaluate the personalities of the of the influencers and then the personalities of the brands and then we look at you know the overlap there and that can help you narrow down from a potential pool of influencers i think it's an important factor i do think you make a a good point though about the importance of tailoring what you're doing in the medium with the medium itself and what i mean by that is that the great thing about these emerging platforms is that they're all a little different and the engagement that a, a brand can have with the consumer can be very different in those platforms as it should be and in fact we've seen time and time again that the most impactful way of, of for an advertiser to work on one of those platforms is to embrace the uniqueness of that platform and do something that is truly customized for the uniqueness of that platform like i'll give you an example we had a client who several years ago worked very closely with Twitch to launch a new product it was Hershey they engaged some of the big Twitch personalities they launched a product they sponsored one of the live events That was a perfect example of an experience that could really only have been on Twitch. It took advantage of the uniquenesses of that platform, and it created an experience that truly had some value for the consumers. What it didn't do was treat them as eyeballs as an opportunity to show them your 30-second TV spot. That would have been a, a bad use of the platform, but doing something that embraces the uniqueness of it. I think is critically important because those are when you start to see true, you know, real successes with those with those
1: platforms. This weaves together a few of the things we've been talking about. So Twitch is a a platform that does very well in our media action study. Consumers like the ads there generally because I guess they're not typical ads. They're they're being done in, in an interesting, new, authentic way. And as long as the platform stays true to that, then they'll do well there. The challenge, though, for brands is taking the time and effort and trouble to learn the Twitch environment, for example, and, and, and then be relevant, not dad dancing within the Twitch environment. So how are you helping clients as they do all this tailoring to different contexts? I mean, let's assume they've picked the five or six that match their aspirations, their personality, their audience, et cetera. You've still got, then, got a challenge, right? Because digital isn't just one thing. It's all of these different interesting spaces. In particular, in the digital environment, how are you helping people optimize across those contexts?
3: One of the things that you have to understand is kind of what are the brilliant basics for each of these platforms? What are the best practices for how content and media work on a Facebook versus a snap versus a Pinterest versus a Twitter, right? Uh, cause it's going to be different. And so you have to have a deep understanding of the brilliant basics platform by platform, by platform Then, importantly, you have to develop. And then this goes to my Twitch point to some extent, you have to develop content that is unique to each of those platforms. The content that works on one is going to be different from the content that works on the other. So you end up trying, or having to build content from the bottom up, rather than trying to take a piece of pre-existing content and force it down into those channels, because that really doesn't work. So it does increase the burden a little in the sense that you need to be mindful and respectful of the uniqueness of each of those platforms. And when you start thinking about what the content should be that you push through them, the opportunity there is to sort of rethink the content model to some extent, and figure out how can you mass produce or produce large amounts of content in a quick cost effective way so that you can For example, simultaneously shoot video in a vertical and in a horizontal format so that it can run in different platforms based on the screen, where the way that people hold the smartphone. So there are things that you can do to cost effectively produce that content. But it is really important because the success comes when you see something that feels right on the platform and it doesn't feel like you're just... Again, using the eyeballs on the platform to stream your TV spot to.
1: It feels like it's something we have to do. It just yeah. feels like a lot of work. <laughs> it also does feel like a fundamental reassessment of how you, where you start, right? So if you're saying that you're starting from a big idea and you're working down to customize as best you can to specific context, your challenge is customization because you've hopefully got integration in the bag. And we know you need both. For effective campaigns but if you start and you focus first on making sure that you're customized and relevant to all these contexts i'm assuming that your challenge then becomes the integration piece right the the challenge is how on earth do you make all of that stick together and feel like a cohesive and sensible whole have you got sort of some sense of how brands are doing that
3: historically the creative agencies would sort of lead the conversations with the clients about the content and creative that needs to be produced. And then the media agency would be responsible for distributing it. The problem with that model is, is that you end up with that top-down kind of idea, that you're taking content that wasn't necessarily developed for a specific platform and you're trying to make it work on that platform. So it doesn't really work. And so what you end up seeing in the best case scenario now, where it works really well, is when that sort of flips a little and an understanding of the media landscape and the, and the media and connections plan that is going to be put in place comes first and what comes out of that understanding of the connections plan is sort of a content audit in terms of you know this is the type of content that we're going to need we're going to need anthemic tv spots because we understand that there is a part of the upper funnel that needs to be filled and there's an important kpi there that we need to address but we also understand that we're going to need this kind of content for this platform, this kind of content for this platform. So you can actually develop a content needs assessment, if you like, upfront before anything is produced. And then you can sort of divvy that up to some extent and have different content providers and creative partners work on pieces, but it's all laddering up to the big picture because that was determined before anything was produced. And I think that's the important shift because now it does enable you to have content that is truly unique for each of the platforms that you're gonna distribute it on.
0: You've been listening to Future Proof. For all episodes and more information, visit cantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com. Please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you know when new episodes are released. Thank you.